Well, good morning and welcome again to Redeemer Church. My name is Sia, and I'm really glad to see all of you today. That video is just a, a kind of a fun way when I introduce our upcoming sermon series at the movies. We've done this a few summers now where we look at some blockbusters and some classics and find our extraordinary God amidst the ordinary. Um, not only do I want you to plan to attend, but I really would encourage you to invite a friend. This is a great way for someone who has been interested or maybe a neighbor that you've been wanting to invite. Uh, we promise that they will be kind of low theology um, and be really fun ways to, to connect with these movies and, and with, our, with our God. You might have heard a theme this morning of invite a friend. Here at Redeemer Church, because we believe that uh, there's a greater life in Christ, we want you to extend that invitation to everyone you know. We try to give you lots of opportunities to do that. <clears throat> Last week, I was away with work in East Texas, and I had the uh, privilege to worship at Grace United Methodist Church in Palestine, um, which I have grown to really love worshiping in other places. I love seeing how they lead worship, how they greet one another, even how they preach. Um, and amidst that time that I was there, I realized I really missed you guys. I uh, found myself in the middle of worship uh, while enjoying it, really longing to be here. I have just really grown to love this community and love worship with, worshiping with you. And I'm very, very thankful uh, to be here today and that all of you are here as well. We are still talking about Samson. This is the final week uh, in this tragic tale, and I've entitled it surrender to sovereignty. If you've been with us through this series, you know that we're at the end of the story. We've discussed together the call on Samson's life, which started with his parents' encounter with God and a promise of what was to come. We've worked through Samson's tendency to follow his own heart, demanding he gets what he wants. We've also discussed the horrific vengeance that Samson brings to his enemies with images of mass slaughter occurring multiple times through this tale. And last week you ended with his capture and torture, where he is blind in a jail cell, bound with his two eyes gouged out as a result of his many mistakes, and including a betrayal from the woman that he loved. Through this story, I hope you have picked up that the tragedy that Samson faces are because he follows his own heart, his own desires, and his own will over those that God has called him to. And today my goal is that you would see, despite these awful messes, God's plans prevail. No matter how big of a mess we make of the gifts that God gives us, we cannot mess up God's great plans. Before we jump into our scripture, I'm going to ask that you pray with me. Oh, gracious and loving God, we do mess up. We too are full of failures and mistakes in times that we follow our own heart instead of yours. And Lord, while we seek forgiveness, we also know that you are a forgiver, that you are a God of love and light, and you lead us despite these mistakes. Lord, this morning we pray that you would open our ears to hear you, that you would open our eyes to see you, and you'd open our hearts to love you and one another in the way that you love us. Oh, sovereign Lord. Amen. All right, so last week you ended uh, in Judges with, with Judges 16, verse 22. You ended with the line, but the hair on his head began to grow again after 
it had been saved. And that was a clue that there was something good still yet to come. And it's just after this line where we're going to pick it up today. We're in Judges chapter 16. We're going to read verses 23 through 31. Feel free to pull out your Bible or your Bible app. Um, The words will be on the screen too. Let's see what we discover when we read it today. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. The one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. Pretty tragic, even kind of gruesome. Samson is one of those stories that reminds me that the Bible is not boring. There is death and destruction and manipulation, and there's these characters that we can really grasp hold of and even fall in love with. And I think that it's these characters that we can really relate to because they're full of failure. We can relate because we too fail at something, sometime some more than others and deeper than the past. But one thing to learn from Samson's failures is this. Failure is an event, not a person. We make mistakes. We are not mistakes. I mean, how many of you like to fail? Me neither. (laughs) Probably one of my least favorite things ever. Samson has a long list of failures. First off, Samson is dedicated to God even before being born. He's promised to be a Nazarene, which means he is to follow these certain 
set of rules that shows this distinction and divine call on his life. We talked about these our first week. Does anybody remember those three rules? The first one was don't drink alcohol. The second was don't touch dead things. Very good. Y'all are doing great. And the third was don't cut your hair. Awesome. Good. Y'all remember. That's great. Well, we know that Samson holds a big bachelor party uh, before he is planned to be married that is full of seven days of food and lots of drinks. We also uh, hear about a story where Samson digs out some honey from the inside of a dead lion, proceeds to eat that honey and then feed it to his parents, which is just disgusting all in itself. But in order to get that honey, he had to touch that dead lion. And last week we ended with Samson having his hair shaved. He's not a very good Nazarene. Also, Samson is a liar. He is dishonest with his parents. He's dishonest with the multiple women that he loves. He's also full of rage and violence. Multiple times we read of him slaughtering large groups of people because he didn't get what he wants. First, he kills 30 men and steals their clothes in order to make good on a bet. Later, he gets some foxes and ties their tails together, sets them on fire, and burns down a whole community's crops of food and produce. And then we even read about him killing thousands with just a jawbone of a donkey. This guy is pretty dark and bad. And he's in the Bible. But can we really be surprised by that? Something I love about our sacred text is that there's this real humanity present. From Abraham's lies to Moses' murder, the Old Testament is full of stories of broken humans making horrible mistakes. And the New Testament continues The disciples, those closest to Jesus, his bestest friends, are some of the biggest doubters of who Jesus is and what he intends to do. And Paul, who wrote over half of the Old Testament, not only was once a Christian killer, but continues to preach about the thorn in his side and the sin that he just cannot let go, even once he has found salvation in Christ. And let's not pretend that this human failure is something of long ago. Less than 200 years ago, many people believed that slavery was okay to own another human. Today, many nations drop bombs on others that they disagree with without little recognition of the devastation that causes not to just those who lose their lives, but those left living in those shambles. And despite this violence and horrible way that we tend to treat one another, what about just the fact that we are consumers who love to pile up trash so big that there is a, some trash floating in the ocean bigger than Texas that we can't figure out who is ultimately responsible for to clean up? And what about our inner relationship failures? Those times that we lie and cheat and abuse and use people in order to get what we want to better our own selves, to avoid our own realities. 
For me, my biggest failures really consist of believing that all of my mistakes somehow define me, that I'm a sum of all my biggest production, everything that I come out, whatever I'm able to do or not do. And this belief leads me to an overcompensation and a strive for acceptance, somehow thinking that the more good I can pile up, maybe it'll outweigh all of that bad. As if, again, somehow these negative or failed experiences say something about who I am. What about you? What failures are you allowing to define you? What mistakes are you holding on to with an inaccurate belief that these mistakes make you? Maybe one big mistake you made in college. Or maybe it's a sum of many small mistakes that you just continue to make and continue to hold on to you? Or is it a mistake that someone else did to you that you have let decide this is who you are? No matter what it is, no matter the depth of the mistakes that have happened to you or that you have helped create happen, I want you to hear that mistakes are events that happen. They're not people. We may make mistakes. We are not mistakes. Despite all of our situations, as horrible as they may be, we are children of God. We are formed in the likeness of God's own image. We are given God's spirit as our own breath, giving us life long before we ever did or did not do anything. The world may tell us that we are what we produce, but it is God who tells us that we are cherished, loved, adored, and adopted with no prerequisites. Psalm 139 says these words, For you created me in my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Despite the beauty in those words, the reason why I bring across this truth to you is because I believe when we get honest, we can then get humble. This past spring, my growth group uh, read together a book titled Humility by Andrew Murray. And in this book, the author describes humility as a complete emptying of self and an entire dependence on God. It was a really heavy book. So much so that about two or three weeks in, I lost my book. And then I started making uh, excuses of why I could not make the meetings. They were really good excuses. But what I realized is that I really wasn't ready to face my humility or lack thereof. For most of our story, I really believe that Samson lacks honesty. And this lack of honesty also leads to a lack of humility. Samson leads his whole life relying on himself his own desires, his own strength for all that he wants in a way to control his world around him. He's dishonest with those closest to him. I believe he is dishonest with himself. And because of his strengths, this works for him until it doesn't. In our passage today, we find Samson alone in a jail cell, his eyes gouged out. 
Worse than that, he is made to perform for the Philistines, used for entertainment for the very people who have caused this torture to him. This depth of low could have only enraged Samson. I wouldn't have been surprised to have read that he went mad in his cell, mentally and emotionally crushed by the weight of devastation he experienced, the guilt he must have had from this horrible amount of defeat when he was supposed to be a man dedicated to God. And yet it's in this depth of despair that Samson remembers this truth. And instead, in Judges 16, 28, we read, Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me. In this cry to God, Samson turns his focus from self to God. He calls upon God as his Lord, the ultimate ruler and king, and asks for God's strength instead of relying on his own. A few lines down, we read this full surrender with these words, let me die. What's happening here is Samson has finally looked his reality in the eye. He has finally gotten honest with himself and realized he can no longer rely on only his self. He can no longer be held captive by what he thinks, by what he desires, or what he plans. And instead, he empties his whole self to God. This is humility. This is a surrender that is bold and honest. And this surrender not only says, I cannot, but I don't have to. This surrender puts his whole life in full, truest, and compliance with God's will, God's plans, God's greatness. And it also removes Samson from the decider of what is good and valuable and worthy. Because when Samson surrenders to God, he puts the judgment of his whole life into God's hands to decide if his mistakes are too much or too little. This notion of let me die, this is something we've discussed before, friends. This is something we've discussed in the life of a disciple of Jesus. In Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus has just told his disciples that he will die and be resurrected. And he goes on to say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Just like Samson, just like the disciples, we too are called to deny ourselves to die to ourselves in order to live in full trust and confidence in God. This act of surrender creates that full dependence on God and no dependence on me. With my group and that book on humility, like I said, one day I finally had to get honest and realize I was not interested in dealing with my humility. And so I borrowed my husband's book, and started to dig in to the chapters. I also realized that I had been carrying around a lot of resentment and anger that my group wasn't real and honest in being able to really share what was going on. And then I realized that I was not showing up with a willingness to share the realness of what was going on with me. 
And so I made a, a promise that I would at least show up with the intention of being more honest. My humility has a lot more work to be done, let me be clear. But in this time, when I really uh, took it serious, and I started to show up and be really real about what was going on, I was able to get to a place that I could share some stuff that was going on with me, the stuff I didn't want people to know. And the acceptance and love and encouragement that I received from this group of people that I've been with for over two years reminded me that I have a place where I am safe. And I do not tell you this story so that you can try and be more like me. I tell you in hopes that you will try and be more like Jesus. Paul describes the way we should interact with one another with these words from Philippians. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He goes on to explain, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Paul goes on to list those names of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul is pointing out that first the incarnation itself is humble, and it's followed by a life of humility lived out by Jesus here on earth, a servant obedient to God's will. Andrew Murray says Christ is the expression of humility of God embodied in human nature. So we are to study the life of Christ. We are to read and discuss and dissect and meditate on how Jesus lived his life here on earth amidst this broken humanity. But how are we ever to truly have the same mindset of Christ? How do we even practice a little humility? Well, Murray goes on to proclaim that being humble is not what we do but what Christ does to us. Just as we cannot save ourselves, Christ does the saving. The same is true with humility. God makes us humble, and we simply allow that work to be done within us. Hallelujah! That is freeing to know that we don't have to nor even can earn more humility, but instead it is Christ Jesus that works in us, to not think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less. And here is even more good news. Friends, we are going to fail at this. We are going to continue to make mistakes. We are going to continue experience an inability to be humble. Yet, God is sovereign. And what that means is that no matter what God's plans win. 
And God has some great plans. In the story of Samson, when we ended last week, you had that clue. You had that clue that goodness was still to come, but the hair on his head began to grow back. We actually have clues throughout this story that God is up to something good amidst Samson and his tragedies. So first off, Samson is only comes to be born because God visits his mother and tells her that a baby is on the way. That's a clue. We can also look at chapter 14. Samson has gone out and found a Philistine woman he would like to be his bride. And when he comes home and tells his parents, they are less than thrilled. They're like, can't you find a nice girl in our community instead of this Philistine? And that's not just them being biased. What we need to understand is that the Philistines have control over Israel. They are their oppressors. So when Samson comes home and says, I want to marry a Philistine, his parents are like, you want to marry the enemy? But in Judges 14.4, we read, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. And on the screens, I made sure to leave those parentheses so you could see this visual side comment, this visual clue, something else is going on. God has a plan to restore Israel, and it involves Samson getting to Philistine. Now, near the end of our tale, just before Samson offers his life and cries out, Sovereign Lord, these words can also be translated in Hebrew to Lord, O Lord. Now, what's important is that this word Lord is not just another name for God. It's a description. Lord means ruler, king, mighty power. And Samson is recognizing that God is Lord, not Samson. God is the mighty ruler. And he cries out, sovereign Lord, which declares with enthusiasm that God is in ultimate control. Now, Samson is in a temple. He's in the place that represents the physical power of the Philistine rulers. And there are all the rulers plus 3,000 more men and women. And what happens is Samson pushes down these physical pillars, holding up this physical structure. He's also pushing down this political system that is holding oppression over God's people. So when Samson pushes down these pillars, he's not only killing and freeing these, uh, he's not only killing the Philistines, but he's also freeing Israel. And he fulfills God's plan to liberate God's people. This tragic scene is actually a victory. And this kind of tragic ending that actually leads to freedom reminds me of another story. The story of our risen king, Lord Jesus. Despite Jesus' humble approach to the human world, a life of meek servanthood, the very people God took on human form to save and win and redeem, instead reject. God's own people hate, capture, and torture their very own Messiah until death. They're driven by greed and fear and an inability to count themselves wrong. A lack of humility. God's most precious and very good creations hang Jesus on a cross. 
like a criminal to publicly shame and ultimately get rid of the problem they are unwilling to confront. These actions that cry crucify, that drag and beat and tie Jesus to the cross in with God, seemingly defeated and evil in victory. And despite this tragedy, despite this awful failure and mistake, God rises from the dead. God defeats the grave and offers freedom to all people. Within our own failures and our own mistakes, rejection and crucifixion of the loving Christ, despite all of this, we are freed and redeemed. What I hope you're hearing is that no matter our mistakes, no matter our failures, God's plans cannot be ruined. God's goodness cannot be stopped. We can get on board or we can get out of the way, but God is going to victory. And all of our mistakes combined cannot outweigh the love of Jesus Christ, the truth that God is fully in charge and the plans for goodness are in store. No matter the depth of our mess, we cannot mess up. God's plans for good. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, <laughs> you are so good. And your, um, your work toward good is overwhelming. God, we, uh, we make such big messes. We have such failures, such big mistakes. And yet, God, with your son, Jesus, with your willingness to come and be among us, you take full, you take all of that away. You take it away and leave us redeemed. You leave us called wonderful. You leave us called yours. And Lord, you continue to invite us and utilize us for all of your good plans. Lord, when we too are left alone in shame of our failures, Lord, we cry out, oh, sovereign God. And we release that need to control over to you and to your will, knowing in full confidence that your ways are so much better than our own. Lord, we come as your people with such glory to declare and to live into this truth. Almighty God. Amen.